Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. (laughs) I am so excited about Book Club today. I was talking to Aubrey earlier, and the three of us are all avid comic readers, and Aubrey suggested we talk a little bit about how we got into comic books. Uh, Do you want to go and start, Aubrey? Um, I guess I got into comics when I was... um like in between eighth grade and high school, um, a friend of mine showed me an issue of X Factor, and it was the last part of the Inferno storyline. And I really liked it because it had Iceman in it, and I was a fan of Iceman from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Oh, I love that cartoon. Next thing I know, I'm going to the grocery store and, uh, you know, picking up an issue of X-Men, and then here I am. Awesome. What about you, Danielle? I was... So young, I get. I don't know. It was like it was like elementary school when I first started seeing stuff in my peripheral of whatever, like Ren and Stimpy, Sonic the Hedgehog, Bone, right, right. you know, all this phone bone. And then like uh, when I got into middle school, I really got into X Men a lot, like really hard. I, yeah. I still remember the issue of X Men. I was like, what is this? And looking at all the various, all the characters, so many different. They all had mutant powers, and that was really like spoke to me. And then I got really into it, like all of the um, Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange and. All the various mutants and stuff, and then I was also, you know, kind of getting into the Teen Titans and Batman, all that stuff. And I, um, oh, and in the Infinity Gauntlet storyline and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, George Perez. And then obviously like various fantasy things too. I was really into like various fantasy things. That as I got older, like in high school, I discovered heavy me- all the heavy metal, like weird fantasy, yeah. heavy metal stuff, and all the you know, there's a lot of avant garde kind of on the edges of underground stuff i got really into like a lot of underground comics and just so yeah just a little bit of everything really nice a very young age I was nice corrupted yeah i got into comics my older brother was into comics and so i knew a lot about the x-men and some characters already but it was more like i was just looking at his stuff and i wasn't really i wasn't really reading my own titles and the first title that i really got into was silver surfer and it was oh, right in the yeah. 90s it was, I think, 35 is the first issue. I still have the stapled together yeah. one, and then I bought a, a nice one to just have. It's a it's, really cosmic title. It's the to world be according into. to Thanos, yeah, oh so gosh. it's one of those first Thanos issues. And then the issue right after that is this weird Impossible Man issue that's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. It's so weird, and it was just such a weird. I just loved that yeah. title. That was my first favorite character was Silver Surfer. Then I got into Spider Man and all that X-Men cosmic and all that stuff, stuff is yeah. really yeah. Was that um, right about leading up to the Infinity Gauntlet story? Yeah, it really was. I got on, like, right in that Prime stuff um, where they were introducing all of that. And Thanos, that issue, it's the world according to Thanos, and he's explaining his whole philosophy and all that kind of stuff, which really ties in with all the movies that are going on right now. Anyway. Well, fun side note, the very first comic book I ever read was the comic book adaptation of the movie The Last Starfighter. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's uh, quite an introduction. It was a were you a fan of that movie, or you oh, were a big fan of that movie? I still am. I yeah. own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> but it wasn't until later that I actually started collecting, you know, years later. Yeah, Because yeah. my, my dad had collected for, before I did. Right, right. Know? So now let's respond to some listener feedback. I want to give some love to all the people who follow us on our social media pages. Subscribe to the podcast, and please rate and review the podcast. That helps us get more visibility so we can continue to grow our club let us know if we're not on your favorite podcast services and we'll get on there asap thanks to mark tweedale for writing a review for us we are actually have a review he says that we're an excellent way to discover or rediscover hellboy and he's mentioned that he likes our discussion so thanks so much mark 
you and the gang over at Mike Mignola's art Facebook page are the best. So if you're not on that page, get on over there. Speaking of Mike Mignola's art Facebook page, hey, Danielle, would you like a one-of-a-kind custom sketch of Hellboy drawn by Mignola where he's got a little flame crown on his head? Well, I tell you, I sure would. I sure would. Hey, Aubrey, would you like a limited edition Hellboy print signed and numbered by Mignola and only available at San Diego Comic-Con 2018? Oh, that would be awesome. Sounds pretty good. Hey, me, would you like a signed copy of the Eisner Award-winning Hellboy issue, Hellboy Krampuschnatt by Mignola and Adam Hughes? Yes, give me that comic. Get on over to the post by Craig McKnight on the Facebook page and buy a raffle ticket for five bucks. You could win one of these amazing prizes mentioned earlier. And even if you don't win, you'll feel all warm and fuzzy knowing that the funds will go towards the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is a great organization. Super great. The raffle ends on August 11th, so get your shit together. Thank you, listeners and awesome people, Drew Campbell and Keys Lagerwelge, for giving us some additional trivia tidbits from our last episode. We were talking about the Hellboy lettering on the logo. This was done by Kevin Nolan, and he said he essentially just cleaned up a design by Mignola. Keys posted a rough version of this to our Facebook page, so I'm going to go ahead and share that. Drew also mentioned that the Torch of Liberty, who we discussed in our last episode and who gave Hellboy his gun, is actually a John Byrne character. Oh. He did that for a backup piece in Danger Unlimited, and the character is owned by John Byrne, so Mignola said that we probably won't see him again (laughs) in a Hellboy book. But I'm thinking they need to collaborate for the 30th anniversary or something. We need to get like a little one shot of just these two characters. That'd be really awesome. Keys and Jerry Turnbull also commented on the difference between the print and digital comics and how the print can sometimes look less vibrant than the digital versions. Jerry linked a pretty cool article from Gizmodo where they actually point out some of the differences in the Hellboy comics between the digital and the print version. So I'm going to go ahead and share that as well. Big thanks to at firewalkwithmeh on Instagram. I love that username. I'm a, I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. He sent me an awesome picture comparing all the colors from the single issue, the trade paperback, the library edition, and the, and the print omnibus. And so he, it's got all the four different versions. You can kind of see all the different variations in the color. So thanks again for sending us that picture. I'm going to go ahead and repost that. Keep all that feedback coming in. You know that um, I'm a noob when it comes to Hellboy, and um, I've seen the movies and I, right, and the animated films, but my knowledge of the comic is pretty limited. So, but the but my knowledge of the comics is limited to articles I've read about Hellboy throughout the years on various comic theme websites. In my effort to do um, a little more research on um, Mignola, I came across this video on YouTube of an interview with um, Mignola from uh, Comic Palooza in 2014. I added it to my Watch Later playlist a few days ago, and I finally got around to um, watching it last night. And in the first 30 uh, seconds, Mignola complimented the interviewer, who was dressed as Harley, on the uh, correct pronunciation of his name. Um, Awesome, yeah. (laughs) As I kept watching, uh, to my surprise, I saw the two of you featured prominently in the video. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. There were around 2.3 million people in Houston, and there were around 33,000 people who went to Comic Palooza in 2014. And in this five-and-a-half-minute video that I randomly found by searching <laughs> uh, Mignola on YouTube has the two of you in it. Right. I think I had mentioned in a previous episode of this um, yeah. that we had we had met him. He's super nice to us. He was... Very kind and very generous, and um, we were we were really there to talk to him. Well, we were there to buy some original art from him to yes. get, ask him if he would please sign our books, and he did. And 
he, he, we were also there to talk to him about the band name. I had messaged him previously about it, and he gave us our blessing and all this stuff. But John and I are in a band along with our uh, guitar player, Peter Burnick. And it's, the name of the band is Only Beast. And which is, which which is a Hellboy is reference. A Hellboy yeah. reference to a splash page that we will talk about later. Uh, it's it's an, in an upcoming book that we're going to be discussing, but... It's just so random. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, I, I saw that the video only had like maybe like 200, 500 views at all. I mean... So. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah that was a, that was a trip. I had never seen it to see us in the in the video was was pretty it's nice interesting. Nice to revisit that that little walk down memory lane. There. Yeah, it nice. was really cool. So we'll we'll share that as well if you wanna if you wanna see us with with Mignola and that and it's a pretty cool little interview too as well. All right, so now we're gonna talk about some Hellboy comics. Let's get to it. We're gonna talk about Hellboy: Wake the Devil, which was released uh, June through October of nineteen ninety six. Before we get right into the story, I want us to set, kind of say goodbye to John Byrne, right? We have to remember that John Byrne scripted the two four-page promotional stories that we discussed on our first episode, as well as Seed of Destruction, which we discussed last week. On the last episode, we mentioned a lot of his amazing writing, and we owe a lot to him and his contribution to the Hellboy universe. Mignola also attributes the success of Seed of Destruction to Byrne, and perhaps they wouldn't have had such a solid start if he wouldn't have had his help, so... If you haven't read a lot of John Byrne, you should check out his work. What what would you suggest they check out, Aubrey? Like well, all the X Men's, all of the X Men's. I mean, well, yeah, all the X Men stuff he did with uh, Claremont and um, the early eighty. I mean, Dark Phoenix. Song. Yeah, I for mean, sure. You can't go wrong there. But then um, he did um, the Vision Quest storyline, which turned Vision into the White Vision. Yeah, that's and a good one. Kind of also started laying the grounds for Scarlet Witch going um, crazy. With yeah. the whole, um, you know, her twins disappearing storyline and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's just too much, too much to mention. Yeah, uh, that he did. He's got a huge catalog. There's a um, Fantastic Four, She-Hulk. You know, there's a Superman World of Krypton, which actually has pencils by Mignola. It's written by John Byrne. So that's a pretty cool little mini series. If you haven't checked that out, it's a it's a fun little read. Wake the Devil was written by Mignola and colors by James Stewart. In the library edition, it says color separations by Dave Stewart. Um, I don't know what color separations means. Somebody, I, we somebody don't have to know. go into it. I, it's fine. Go ahead. Just Talk. real quick, we got an introduction by Alan Moore here. Nice. Which yes. I, it would it have been good easy read. to. Yeah, I, I didn't want to skim it because it was actually it's just anything this guy writes. I need to read it. Wait, he mentions um, what? which version is that in? I. That's in the trade paperback yeah. version. Okay. Okay. So uh, he's got it here. <laughs> he mentions. I believe it's in the library edition as well. I'm not sure. He mentions, uh, let's see here, he mentions, instead the current music field is a mosaic of styles drawn from points in the past or points in the imagined future with no single style predominating. It's happened in sciences where mathematicians, for example, find valuable insights into modern theoretical conundrums by examining the long outmoded late Victorian passion for the geometric study of rope knots. He mentions... Michael Allred's Mad Men. He mentions a lot yes, of different things Mad in here. So he's, it's high praise for Mignola, I think. It's, he, he calls Mignola a gem. Yeah, we can distill all of yeah. this, you know, ranting and raving into he's excited for these books. And I just I wanted to go ahead and mention that Alan Moore is in here. So it's praise from Caesar. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. If you haven't read that forward, it's definitely worth it. If checking you're writing out. a super weird book about weird stuff, you're going to want Alan it. Moore to give you a yeah. it If you don't have it, um, I'll put it online. Yeah, because um, it's definitely not in my omnibus version. I, I would love to read it because Alan Moore's. Yeah, I'll get that yeah. to you. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want him to uh, to check it out. Okay. 
And then uh, one other thing. There's one last thing before we get started. Uh, I can tell right away. No, seriously. Right when you open the book, right before you get to the story, he dedicated this book to Dracula, (laughs) which is such a fucking power move. Yes. Dedicating your your book to fucking Dracula is a good way to to pull me in. So please, go ahead. Introduce us. Let's get going. Let's get rolling. (laughs) I just need to get a hold of myself. (laughs) That's also the not man it. dedicated his book to Dracula. I can't let that lie. And that's also not in my omnibus. It's not oh, really. Wow, wow. it's just in the trade. Yeah. That's interesting. We open the story on the Arctic Circle. A castle is found by Zinko. Mr. Pope is mentioned as the head of the company. Zinko. This guy gets out of the helicopter. He breaks into the castle. He sees dead Nazis and the Project Ragnarok logo, which we saw at the end of Seed of Destruction, and he's lowered down into the basement. There, he's confronted by some Kirby Crackle and the nefarious Project Ragnarok crew. Leopold Kurtz, Cronin and Ilsa Hopstein are there. Kurtz is in this kind of power loader thing. And they've already been thought out of the ice. Zinko confronts them and he tells this awesome story. I love this story that he tells right here. Any of y'all want to talk about that? Well, I was just going to say, I like how he smashes the door open with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're in Norway. We're, I mean, it's, it's just exciting from the first page. We're, we're in the Arctic. So there's the ominous castle where there shouldn't be a castle. You know, I can't turn the pages fast enough. And yeah, like when you get to the story about what, who was very obviously yeah. Rasputin. I love this story. Yeah, it's super good. So what happens in the story? Well, he's uh, walking along a beach and... Uh, Rasputin just pops up and he's he's talking about how like it's his own private beach and that guy you know it's like hey you're not supposed to be here right and he's like talking to him he's like you know you have all this but you have no purpose so you're a poor man Uh, but I'm going to give you something right and then he like then he knows all the he has all the knowledge now of Project Ragnarok of all the plans I love that it's so and his his only goal is to just help these Nazis do he's he's a bad bloke yeah, he's going to give them all his resources and everything to fulfill their plans. So um, whatever you do, don't buy Zinko. Right. <laughs> so one year later, we're in New York in a wax museum full of all of Mignola's favorite things. Ilsa Hopstein pops in, right? What's this word that she says? Do we you get, know? Well, right before that, uh, the first panel up here, you got Vlad the Impaler. And I'm like, why is oh, Dracula? Yeah. Wait, is this Dracula? What's happening? And then it's you figure out later that yeah, it's a wax that's museum. Vlad the but Impaler. It's, You're right. I don't know what that word is. I don't speak German. Well, it means pig dog or bastard. Wow. Um, but I don't know how to pronounce Yikes. it. Somebody let us know how to pronounce it. And then he shoots Harsh. this old man who yells out her name, Ilsa. In the last panel, we see... Lemmy? Is that Lemmy? Is that Lemmy from Motorhead? Lemmy. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. He's got a skull and crossbones on his hat. <laughs> I just want to go ahead and point that out. So now we are back at the BPRD headquarters, which we learn is in Fairfield, Connecticut, and there's a briefing. I love when we get these kind of scenes yes. in movies or TV where it's just like, here, we're going to give exposition. you all the information. Yes. We're going to give you the whole team. We're going to set the stage for everything that's about to happen. So... I was sending Aubrey a, uh, I sent you a picture of my notebook while oh, I was researching was this scene. I was showing Danielle it's as like well. It's like the rantings of a madman. It's it like really that, is. It's like Charlie Day when he's got all the maps in the cigarette and he's... So I uh, really wanted to research this scene from the briefing and so I did quite a book report on it. So go ahead and bear with me. The Napoleonic Wars lasted from 1803 to 1815. Napoleon and the French Empire fought against the coalition powers which were led by the UK. These wars were fueled by unresolved conflicts from the French Revolution, which had just started four years earlier. Which had just ended four years earlier. It seems as though Jerusku fought against Napoleon's forces. 
It stated that he commanded Prussians in 1806, so that would probably put him in the Fourth Coalition War, where the coalition forces actually ended up losing to Napoleon the following year. Jeruska was with the Austrians in 1809, so that would put him as part of the Fifth Coalition. His super scary portrait was done in 1811 at the Battle of Redinha, which was part of the Peninsular War, which is also part of the Napoleonic Wars. Oh my gosh, this is... Jerusku may have been fighting for Portugal or Ireland during this time, I'm just taking a guess. In 1812, he led the Cossacks against the Grand Army, which was a historically victorious force that had helped the French keep their rule over Europe during this time. And they were finally defeated at this battle. So Jerusku got back at Napoleon for losing to him in 1807. He was there in 1814 when Napoleon was forced to end his rule as Emperor of France. And he was with Blucher, who commanded forces at Napoleon's first defeat at Waterloo in 1815, where Napoleon was defeated the second and final time. Kate then starts talking about the folklore aspect of Jerusku's history. She mentions that Jerusku was horribly wounded and brought back miraculously healed a few days later at the siege of Halberstadt. Now, this is in Saxony, Germany. And maybe Jerusku was part of the Black Brunswickers, who were actual... Um, soldiers during this time and who defeated napoleon and they wore skull badges on their uniforms this was in july of 1809 during this time the fifth coalition was going on and this is where he was with the austrians earlier so it all makes sense it would line up after waterloo we what don't you're he- saying what you're saying is the stuff with Jurescu is is lining up with modern history with, with, a- with things that actually happened in okay. history that is interesting you after should post wa- that on the um on, on the <laughs> my rantings of amendment well i'm not yeah. done Okay. After Waterloo, we don't hear anything until August 8th of 1882, 67 years later, where he w- where he visits Queen Victoria. She had just been, uh, she had, uh, there was an attempted murder on her in March earlier of that year. We learn of a Sir Edward Grey, a 19th century paranormal investigator who tells the Queen that Jerusku is trying to establish an evil army, and Jerusku is soon driven out 11 days later. Hmm, I wonder if this Edward Grey had anything wonder, to do yeah. with that. We know that there was a British paranormal society during World War II, so maybe Edward Gray's the beginning of all of this. He refers to Jerusku as a vampire. We don't hear anything again until 1944, where Himmler, an actual horrible Nazi who was very, very responsible for the Holocaust and also fascinated by the occult, proposed Project Sturm, led by Hilsa Hopstein, to recruit Jerusku for the Nazis. And Jerusku meets Hitler Jerusku later that year. Jerusku. Am I saying it wrong? I think it's, yeah. And Jurescu meets Hitler later that year at Wellesburg, which is a creepy-looking castle. So he's definitely a vampire, if this is true, because at this point it's 138 years later since he was an officer in the Napoleonic Wars. Also, Project Sturm is a lot like Volkssturm, which was Hitler's army in September of 1944. This army was supposedly going to win the war for the Nazis. After meeting Jurescu, Hitler issues a warrant for his arrest, and Jurescu and his crew are sent to Dachau along with six other special prisoners. This is the same day as the Battle of the Bulge, which was one of the Nazis' last offensive attacks. A work order is issued for their death, and in 1956, possibly at the Japanese war trials in China, which was taking place during this time, the guards who were at Dachau say that Jurescu and his pals were impaled, decapitated, burned, and their ashes sent to Hitler. Now, during this story, which I assume takes place in 1996, Hans Ubler, under the pseudonym Howard Steinman, is shot by Elsa Hopstein, who was last seen in 1944. That's the scene we just we just talked about. Ubler ran a wax museum where he actually had the statue of Jerusku, so that's that lemmy-looking guy at the end. 
and he was an associate of Himmler and the Project Ragnarok gang back in the 40s. We glimpsed this a little bit in the last story, Seed of Destruction. It is suspected that Ubler may have taken Jerusku's body with him when he fled Germany in 1945. Wow, that was very detailed. (laughs) Uh, I do have to say that I do like it when um, you have like an immortal character, you know, they go in and try to, you know, place them in like actual real historic events. Um, It's just, I don't know, something I think is a really kind of well neat, apparently he managed um, to do that quite successfully <laughs> because that was quite a book report yeah so, so this is called historical fiction and it's one of my favorite things about mignola's writing it almost gives me like this childlike like i kind of feel like oh that could have actually happened yeah. you know what i mean it kind of i don't know it just hits me in a really good spot i also i want to point out something that has nothing to do with any of that like i'm, I'm you know i'm pretty good at doing that <laughs> i love going off topic in the background of one of these panels, while this exposition is going on, there's a portrait of Aleister Crowley, who yes. is, uh, you know, he was he was a self-proclaimed alchemist. Yeah, great, great She's little find. I had never noticed that. that. It's in the it's behind Abe in, in the briefing scene. Um, well, he so, also did a lot of like he was dabbled in sexual magic and a lot of crazy right stuff like that. But we don't have to go into that. So the Project Ragnarok symbol is found. Um, in blood at the site of Ubler's death, and the look on Hellboy's face right here, I just feel the anxiety rising, you know, where he sees that. All the psychics that they sent in were all upset and messed up by that, and they saw a man in a Napoleonic-era uniform. Kate fears that the Project Ragnarok team have Jerusku's body, and they're going to try and reanimate him under the full moon, He's which Jurescu. is just... with <laughs> Jurescu, which is just taking place tomorrow night. So the BPRD have to split up into teams, and we meet the team here, Mr. Clark, Mr. Waller, and Mr. Leach, along with Abe and Liz. And Liz in her jaunty... She's got the beret she's again. Got her beret. She's rocking that beret. She's got a new one this time, and a... Yeah. Is that a different beret? <laughs> yeah, I think the last one was black, and this oh. was kind of a gray. <laughs> we learn that Liz has just taken a break from the team, and there's some good dialogue. Oh, wait, wait. Before that, yeah. I, before we get to that part, I'm still on this page over here where they're introducing everyone. Okay, so during this exposition, we've got mention of an eight-foot-long crate labeled Jurescu Lot 666. That yes. does not sound great. <laughs> that doesn't sound promising. It's just so creepy. So, And there's this kid with the glasses. He's definitely going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's definitely. That's my first thought because what is it? He's he's like, oh, I'm entrusting you two with this guy. Ah, you're in good hands, kid. He's just no. He's gonna die. <laughs> We're gonna see that things with the BPRD don't always go according to plan. Yeah. And so anyway, so you're talking about uh, Lizen. We got Lizen Hellboy talking yeah. in the lobby here. Yeah. She she just took a break from the team, but she's back now. And I love this little dialogue. So Hellboy, he thinks that the trip is a wild goose chase. But I know some pretty good restaurants in Romania. She says, well, you be careful anyway. Paprika chicken, baby. That's my favorite. I love that. I love that part. I know some good restaurants in Romania. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, there's got to be. He does a lot of traveling. Yeah. Yeah. In Romania, we're at Castle Jurescu. And we uh, we get some lines from The Tiger by Blake. We see this cool-looking bird. What do you think about that bird? There? I was about to mention this bird during the William Blake uh, moment that we're having. I love the way Mignola draws birds. It's it's very ominous, and Mignola doesn't. He's not going to put something there unless it needs to be right. There. Like that's not just that bird's not just there for no reason. It's a very subtle detail. Yeah. It's sitting there outside the castle, 
And then after she finishes her poem, it looks like it flies in through the Gorgeous. window on the next page. Gorgeous shot. Um, so that's really good. And so Kate was correct about her theory, right? They do have Jurescu's body, and they're planning to do whatever with it at the Castle Jurescu. Uh, Ilsa sends these two guys down to put the body where it's supposed to be. And when we cut back to Norway... There's no good Nazis. They're up to no good. We have uh, Kurtz and Cronin, and they're watching Ilsa. Perhaps it was too early to send her back out into the world, right? I like that they joke about that. And if you couldn't tell from the poem, Ilsa and Jurescu had a relationship in the past. Oh, yeah, no, that's super obvious, because she's all forlorn or whatever. Yeah, and it looks like Leopold and Cronin are trying to recreate that Project Sturm, which was referenced earlier. I'm assuming it's like some sort of vampire army or something like that, right? Back in Romania on the plane, the BPRD is in there uh, getting ready to go out to their mission, and Abe can tell that Hellboy is razzled by everything that happened at Cavendish Hall, where all that weird shit happened to the team. It's also revealed that Hellboy visited each Br- East Bromwich. Recall from the beginning of Seed of Destruction, this is where he was born on Earth. We haven't read that story yet. I know that it technically comes before this story, but we're going to get there. I like the interaction here between uh, Hellboy and Abe. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they've been, you can see not only they've been partners for a long time, they've been friends for a while, and they, they, they just kind of know each other, um, and they know each other's attitudes and right. minds and thoughts on things well but also hellboy has a very zen response to abe's questions here he's like yeah well you know i've i did some thinking and i thought about oh why am i here all this stuff but he's like you know what i don't care about that stuff i don't care right he's just a very zen guy he's like and it's fine he's very liz, in the present moment kind even of liz dude. gets the sense that something's up right she says i'll take you up on that bet because she thinks that they're not just going to eat paprika chicken all day right well but yeah but well and that goes back to hellboy thinking that this is going to be a nothing i'm talking about like when he's saying he doesn't care about his origin right. story or any of that stuff but yeah no when they get down here to uh oh this trip is a wild goose chase all this stuff and liz is saying no, by the way, she is smoking on a plane. Yeah, just going to point that out. She's she got a she's got a hunch a that fuck. something's happening. Yeah. Um. But and then we've got uh Agent Leech, Leechy boy, baby leeches, little leechy sids, hanging out with them on the plane. Like, yes, he's. Ho- I'm hoping to see some action, dude. You're <laughs> hoping to die. Why are you saying? Come on. Also, like uh, how Hellboy said, it's been 52 years, so it also shows like there's still passage of time. And yeah, this is not like The Simpsons where everybody stays the same. Oh yeah, age yeah, all right, the time. Right, right, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I didn't catch that detail. So Hellboy gets his rocket pack. He's told to suit up, bombs away. He jumps out of the airplane, and this is one of my uh, favorite scenes right that's here. Great. He tries to activate the rocket pack, new and improve my ass. He clicks it, and it just blows up. Right, it just sends him flying through the air. Well, I like how he's like clicking. He's like click, 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 click. Yeah, <laughs> and then where the explosion, you can see it says Zinco. So the so the BPRD uses Zinco products, right? They may not be aware that all this stuff has happened with the head of Zinco looking into Project Ragnarok, but maybe that's why their equipment is so shitty. Hellboy falls through the roof of Castle Jerusku, where Ilsa and her team are. And that's where that scene ends, right? I like how it's like, you know, Hellboy's like saying like, oh, there's not going to be anything there. And then his backpack, his jetpack blows up. He falls through the roof right to where they thought he was going to be. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I love this panel of the uh, right hand of doom crashing. It's like a perfect profile of the, well, it's not a profile. It's a head on, headlong shot, but it's, it's, a, it's a really good shot. It is. My, and Mignola's sense of, I don't want to say cinematography because there's no cameras involved, but... 
he frames it almost as though you're watching a movie. It's yes. really beautiful. And remember, this is the first time that he's kind of doing this on his own, yeah. right, too. So that that's really good. I mean, he definitely does have a very cinema-like quality where he just kind of flows very well. Yeah. But I just love that, like, that hand of doom all on fire coming through the ceiling. So as we get into issue two now... Hellboy has just crashed through the roof. I love how Ilsa is so nonplussed. She's like unmoved by any of this. She just says Hellboy. Um, she orders them to shoot him. So there's this awesome fight with Unmensch. I also like how the other guy just freaks out, screams no, and jumps out the window. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> right? As soon as he sees Hellboy. Well, Hellboy calls him a Nazi, and then he does that. So... I don't know. Maybe he didn't realize that he was a Nazi or... Uh. <laughs> no, I know. How are you not going to realize you're a Nazi? He knows he's a Nazi. That's why he's scared because he knows somebody's coming for him. That's right. And he just jumps out the window. Hellboy has this fight with Un- Unmensch. Um, it might be Unmensch. Unmensch. And so uh, I love this fight here with the retractable arm or whatever. It made me think of the um, the main character from the old 80s video game, Bionic Commando. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> And so some of the stuff that he's telling him, he's saying circus ape. That's what he's saying in the, the little Russian, the German part. Um, Hellboy has a really great fight with him. I love how he uh, hit, starts hitting him in the head with his own, with his own chained hand, right? Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> and right when he's confronted by Ilsa Hopstein, they fall through the floor. I love on the next panel, she's just, again, just totally unmoved. Super she hasn't moved from her spot care. at all. She's just totally... Just watching all this happen. I like how he, um, first he fell through the roof, then he got into a fight, and then he fell through the floor. Yeah, there. <laughs> it's just like, bam, bam, damn. Then we have a flashback to Tarmagant Island, which is a fictional place. Yeah, we're back to the Stonehenge moment where Rasputin had a, did the summoning ritual. It's a very recognizable scene, um, and Mignola goes back and opens up that moment. It's a really excellent moment. This, to me, when these characters, particularly Ilsa, they go from being just some random bad guys to, hey, there's something more here. Right. Of course, obviously, Nazis are bad and awful. I just mean we're, we're seeing there's a lot more to this moment. And as misguided and horrible as Ilsa is, she's looking for something to believe in, something to right. hang on to. And in this case, it's Rasputin. And Rasputin is also looking for something to believe in, to hang on to. And the fact they're kind of finding this in one another. And that any interesting villain worth their salt isn't going to think of themselves as a villain. They truly believe they're the hero. They're the protagonist in this drama of yeah. their universe. And they're, they're doing important work in their own eyes. And that's, that's what keeps the story so fascinating is he really opens these moments up and, and lets them breathe. And we, we, can, we can revisit these, these places and these people. And that's something to me is just such a strong element of this yeah. work. We learn that he is Rasputin, right? He labels himself as Rasputin, the, the monk. The self-proclaimed holy man who was influenced as Tsar Nicholas II, the last monarch. Rasputin was credited by some in setting off the Russian Revolution and the fall of the Romanovs. The monk's murder in 1916 was also mysterious. I think it's funny how Leopold and Kurtz, they come in later. They're, they're like, we believe in you too, master. After he tells Ilsa that she's going to, you know, she's going to live on and be part of his plans in the future because she's so devoted. Um, the two other guys come and they're like, we believe in you too, buddy. <laughs> We're on board, dude. Rasputin predicts the end of World War II and Jurescu's death by Hitler, and he tells his crew to get in the cryogenic freezer and wait for him. Are we back to modern day yet? Yeah. So, so we're f- so we're we're transitioning back to modern day with this here, and uh, Rasputin shows up, and he's a a ghost. Yeah, he shows up to Ilsa. He still got some power. 
the dragon sigil's gone from his cloak. It's a just a much simpler design with just the wound there. Right. The yeah. Middle. And this is a great part. She recognizes that he's dead. You know, he tells her of everything that kind of happened at the end of Seed of Destruction. And he tells her about the Ogdru Jihad, awesome right? Awesome splash the page here. The, the splash stars. page is crazy. And oh, you see it there rumbling, kind of speaking. All right? this, yeah. He talks about it calling out to him. So these are the kind of things that I guess it's it's calling out. The Ogdru Jihad language is so fucking creepy. I love it so yeah, much. It's yeah, it's great. And I, and I and I love that splash page. Just yes. anything, to, anything like space. Just oh yeah, I anything love it. cosmic yeah. or weird <laughs> magic stuff is I'm on board automatically. We get this little brief weird scene where we see an ancient priest um, who, from what we can tell, is praying to keep the Ogdru Jihad away. We sense that he's been there for a long time. So well, and so this is kind of in direct uh, contrast to the space guys we saw in the last book yeah. that we read. So we've got. You know, and and it's kind of an Mignola operates with sort of an interference pattern, sort of a style where we've got maybe different times, maybe different places, but maybe it's happening concurrently. We don't even know. Right. So that's another element of this work. That's we'll so have some more of that later. Absolutely, too. yeah. Back to Hellboy, he notices that Unmensch was injured pretty bad, and there's an old man in the Romanian castle. We also see the bird, right? We, uh, he... I was going to mention the bird, yeah. Yeah. When he sees the bird, it acts kind of like an omen, and he tells his daughter to get out of there with the family before it's too late. He says that it's too late for him, right? So this is setting up some other things of the story. We're slowly kind of piecing together all the threads that are going to be coming uh, into play later. Back in the castle, we see that somebody's been uh, munching on the remains of Unmensch, and we meet this character. I do think it's Unmensch because the U, like in German, like Uber, Okay. So I do think it's Unmensch. Well, this is probably the last time we're mentioning him because somebody's eating his body. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> and we meet this character who turns out to be Jerusku's father. He tells this tale about buying this woman withered and hard and believed dead. He brought her back by bathing her in blood, milk, and honey in 1492. John Hunyadi is referenced, who is a real person and also a Roman Catholic saint known as the White Knight of Wallachia. The woman was cursed by Thoth, so she was half-changed and could no longer bear the light of day. She brought his son Jurescu back when he was thrown from his horse in a frozen river, and now Jurescu is her son as well. Jurescu's father mentions a moon door and the women of Thessaly. This refers to women astronomers from the 1st or 2nd century, the most notable being Aglonice, who was referred to as a witch um, who could pluck the moon down from heaven. Because back then, if you were a woman scientist, you were a witch. But I like this character of Jurescu's father. He's pretty funny. You can almost imagine his voice and his inflections and the way that he talks. And just the design, of course. I mean, I, you know. I'm going to keep doing this for the entire podcast yeah. and just be like, Manuel's art is so awesome. But the little wispy smoke trails from the candles, from the candelabras, oh, super good. Right. Uh, and then the whole underground crypt just, just like creepy. And oh, yeah, super great. And, and then they mention uh, La Mia, born out of the shadow of the moon, the moon door, the moon room. Yes. We've got a bunch of, you know, I love it, the moon references. So he shows Hellboy all this information. He tells him his tale. And he starts to get all crazy like villains do, and then they have a fight, right? They have a fight. Hellboy eventually ends up with knocking his head off. Well, I like how he hands Hellboy this book, and Hellboy just seems to, like, rip it apart. He's all like, I don't want your book. I saw that more of just the book kind of disintegrating because it was so old. I don't know. 
Oh, maybe. And he uh, also was holding is. it with the right hand of doom. Maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, but they have a they have a, a, a little fight here. He stabs him. Uh, Jurescu's father stabs Hellboy in the back with his knife. So we get to this next page. Did he say moon door? And I love this. one of my favorite pages where it's got Hellboy. It's got the door. You focus in on the moon and he opens it up into this thing. There's all this kind of... It's all just silhouette, but I just really love this page a lot. Mignola could just draw bricks forever and I'd be satisfied. <laughs> I mean, it's really fantastic page. We see the heads of the two guards who were sitting down at the end of issue one to put the box with Jurescu's body in the proper place and the head of Unmensch. Hellboy suspects he's being baited. And then harpies, right? We get some harpies These coming birds down. birds are super great. Yeah. Uh, it's just a great scene with all those birds right behind him. So this is the women of Thessaly now, and they're just coming down to attack Hellboy. Getting into issue three kind of explains the women of Thessaly. Women with the power to draw down the moon, transform themselves into monsters and birds. And there's a little smear campaign against them saying that they eat poop, which... I don't know if that's true or not. I think people just don't like witches. Well, it says according to Greek folklore. Oh, so yeah. this is, you know, that's those, the citation. Those Greeks. Mm-hmm. They were up to some weird shit. Eat corpses, excrement, and insatiable sexual appetites. Right. Who like, knows? Yeah, so. I, think, I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, is added in. Like John was saying, you know, if you're a lady scientist... You're a you're a nasty nasty lady. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but what on. if you're a harpy? What about what about? I don't know harpies? if these are. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're just like you know chilling with this this goddess. I think right. They're just all chilling. I don't know if they're eating poop or not, but we'll see. So Hellboy has this awesome fight with the bird women, and he again we see the vault the faulty Zinko product. Right. He has the Zinko gun. He tries to shoot with it, and it just blows up in his hand. This is the second time that he's tried to use a Zinko product, and it didn't work. So he gets another weapon. Starting he, to remind me of like Hammer Industries. Yeah, this guy. And he so he gets a sword. This is a great weapon for Hellboy, right? And all the cool dialogue coming down from the birds is really good. Um, I like how they all say one phrase, but it's cutting to different birds. It would be different voices. Like I imagined this if you know we were watching it for real, it would be all synchronized, right? Also, and, I really like that look of the sword itself. It just has that ancient look to it, but it's just also not that much detail added to it. It just it just looks really cool. Yeah, and they're all they're all saying, uh, you know, Hecate, goddess of crossroads, the witch queen, moon of a thousand forms, queen of nights. It's yes. all very impressive. He's got an impressive resume. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of titles and um i love how the dagger the, that he was stabbed with earlier is still sticking out of his back there now jurescu comes out right jurescu in all his glory um he has a fight with hellboy and it looks like he turns into a harpy as well right hellboy's jumping down to stab him and then on the next page it's a bird so right is that correct they fly through the air a little Good. bit he's a were bird yeah awesome they fly through the air a little bit, and uh, I love this panel where Jurescu falls into the well, the little legs. I don't know. There's just something <laughs> kind of humorous, and there's just a lot of action. I just really like that. Well, you know, he's he's trying to... He's just came out of the coffin. He turns into a bird. He's making his big escape, and Hellboy's like, nope, I don't think so. And then he falls into a well. Their fight resumes down in the well, and I really like this uh, action, this motion here when all he turns into snakes and he just kind of like flails out. You know what I mean? Um, Hellboy's face of disappointment uh, after that is really good as well. I like how Mignola is um, not going with the classic vampire turn into a bat kind of thing because, you know, I mean, uh, turn into the bird and then he turned into a snake. And it's just, you know, refreshing to see something 
different. He can turn into a lot of different things, it seems like, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they said. Like, you know, Dracula would turn into other animals, too. And so, but I mean, it's just become like that classic Hollywood trope to only be bats. So. Right. right. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So being able to turn into other animals. And that's the thing is um, being able to transform into monsters and things like that, right? So Hecate is imbuing perhaps these these beings with the ability to transform from whatever human type of a creature to a bird type creature or snakes or whatever that might be part of it yeah right but i think that that's a it's a, it is like you said it's an interesting way to draw that out into something a little bigger nice jurescu calls out for his mother to help him and we reveal that the withered woman that was bathed in blood by jurescu's dad is hecate goddess of crossroads and there are different pronunciations. I kind of looked into this. I wanted well, to make sure we were saying it right. Well, so Hecate is the original pronunciation from uh, Greek. When Shakespeare did Macbeth, he did Hecate. But the only reason he did that, what I've learned, is that he needed it to rhyme with the rest of his play. So that became a very popularized version of saying that. But for the purposes of this podcast, I think we'll just say Hecate. I really like the way he drew her in this panel when she's holding uh, uh, Jurescu. But just like the simple green lines. Very otherworldly. Yeah, it's just like really, I don't know, just something really cool about that. He's good at drawing ominous stuff. Yeah. We cut back to Elsa and Rasputin, and Rasputin explains some of his origins. He always knew he had the power in him, but he didn't know what to do with it until meeting with the Baba Yaga, whose chicken-leg house he had seen in his dreams. She tells him his destiny, and he gives her half his soul to put in Yggdrasil, the world tree. So now we know how Rasputin survived after the events of Seed of Destruction. Half of his soul is there. This this whole exposition is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. And it's another layer deeper. It's another level down. Yeah. When he's talking about the music of the spheres is chaos. Yes. There is so much in contained in that one sentence. And I to spare you both, I won't go into it. And I will spare our listeners as well. But there is... Yeah. So much. If you, the the music of the spheres is chaos. There's so much to chaos theory now that we know that really ties into a lot of this magic stuff that we're talking about. Um, hyperdimensional beings extruding into three dimensional space. Um, fractal chaos math, all that sort of stuff. So that really stuck with me because we are talking about you know, Baba Baba Yaga, the Yggdrasil. Right. It's all kind of interconnected and really fascinating that he that he chose Rasputin to deliver this prose because we're getting a deeper understanding of this is supposed to be a bad guy he worked with Nazis and yet for a moment I find myself being like hmm this guy's yeah cool somehow right like what's happening and so that's what he found right after he died he found all of this knowledge he found the chaos it you called start out to, to feel him. sorry for him almost like i obviously i don't sympathize with nazis in any way so this is but this is you know it's fiction so it's a character that i'm starting to see his background a little bit more and you're starting to see a lot of where he got his i mean he's he's hanging out with baba yaga is there something weird about this guy yeah so he tells her how he's been reborn he wants her to be reborn too and she pledges herself to his cause and agrees to it and you can see she's got this She's got the skull also, just like that um, that Jurescu one that we saw earlier. We cut to Siege Castle, which was owned by the Wasp family, who were one of the oldest noble families in Transylvania. Again, with some of that historical fiction. The rest of the BPRD crew, Sidney Leach, Waller, and Liz Sherman, talk. Liz reveals that she's quit the BPRD many times, but she keeps coming back because they took her in after her tragic pyrokinetic origin. Waller finds a door with alchemy symbols oh, on wait, it. Oh, wait, no, I'm talking, I'm talking about Sydney, little Sid, kid Sid. Uh, yeah. Little Sidney leeches, he's going to die. 
I'm the. I know I'm the new guy. How many times are they going to mention that he's the new guy, man? So we learn also he's the human metal detector. Okay, right? that's yeah. his power, and so he's able to unlock this old lab that Waller finds with alchemy symbols. So we go into the old lab. Alchemist lab looks awesome. Yeah. So who is is this Hecate on the wall? Well, it, I I was I, trying to figure out who this is. Now so Hecate is sometimes. I don't think so. And there's there's no connection to Hecate and okay. alchemy really that mm. i can think of um it's just some sort of worshiping the goddess kind of deal she's got a bird crown uh it could be hecate but there's also you know the bird crown with the fire surrounding her yeah almost gives it sort of a phoenix type I'm of sure a look. that we'll learn in a in a future story it could be yeah then she's got a is. cup of fire could be the cup of life it also right. fire um, signifying life. Here. Also, kind of reminds me of the whole birth of the the Venus. Um, right. Yeah. So we've got kind of a lot of different elements coming in here. And what does Sidney Leach find? He finds this old homunculus. So homunculus were right when he finds the homunculus, Mignola cuts right back to the cup of fire. Yeah, and Liz saying, "What is it?" And so we've also we've got this philosopher's stone kind of a yeah, yeah. feel here, and so the. The giant mural of the goddess could very well be uh, symbolizing some sort of rebirth. Right. And I'm really not liking the look on Liz's face here. Oh, my God. That is, yeah. So, well, first I wanted to talk about a homunculus. This is a representation of a person that is rooted in history and folklore. Uh, this homunculus is larger than most and is made of blood, herbs, and manure. And Liz is just transfixed by that hole in his chest. And I love that you point out that look because, like, the whole page to me just has this rising tension. She's just looking at all this other stuff, all this talking is going on, but she's just looking at that hole. And then as the page goes on, you see Waller, his, the expression on his face as he realizes she's getting ready to touch it is just this, this whole page all together. I just, I just love it. It works really well. It's almost like she's um, fueling him up, like putting like gas in a car. <laughs> right. So she's so compelled to touch the hole and it springs to life. Sidney Leach burns the shit out of his hands, right? Trying to pull Liz away. And Liz is stuck. Waller is forced to shoot her in the arm to break the connection. There's always so much pathos when that happens. Yeah. When it's like, you gotta, don't make me shoot you kind of a thing. Yeah. You, know, just, you, you had to put it in. As soon as he shoots her, the homunculus screams out. He snaps Waller's neck, probably breaks his back, and bursts through the walls of Siege Castle. And I love how, as he bursts through the wall, that little, like, it's just a shape. Like, if I trace that, it would just look like, but here we can see the whole motion of this character jumping. That's all you need. He says so much with so little with his art. Mignola does. And uh, I I agree. Like, it is just a shape, but that's part of the beauty of this, is that you're just getting a sense of movement. That's what maybe it would look like if... You were trying to look at something moving that quickly, right. you know. And so you just have Sydney and and Liz kind of looking at at Waller's dead Little body. Little city leeches. He was I a think, red herring there. Yeah, he was. He didn't die, and instead Waller died. Poor Waller got his got his head snapped just trying to save Liz from this uh, from what whatever she got herself into there. It almost looks like he has some sort of hole in his head where that blood is coming out. So. Well, he, gra- he grabbed him. He put so, his thumb through his head. Yeah, yeah. it's just like wow, wow. <laughs> just cracked it open back in the lab in norway zinko vi- visits with cronin oh, and kurtz and he brings them the head of von klempt Nazi found in macapa which is in brazil uh, remember we saw von klempt in the promotional stories as well as a flashback image in seed of destruction kurtz thinks that von klempt was a lunatic but cronin thought of him as a friend and wants to bring the band back together cronin thinks that rasputin was wrong to demiss von klempt and vows to make it right i like how he's got like a bloody smock like he's like we're in the middle of something right here he just like has blood all over his <laughs> 
hands and all the blood all over himself. Anyway, we have this scene at St. Bartholomew. A priest talks to an old man that we saw in the previous scene, the one that asked his daughter to leave town. The old man, Stephen, tells the priest, Nicholas, that Jurescu is back and that he can smell the plague returning. Stephen begs Nicholas to leave town, but Nicholas dismisses the concern. I love how he tells him, pigs suck. That's pretty funny. What kind of an insult is that? I don't know. So... <laughs> and we see one of the harpies is watching this conversation take place. Back at Castle Jurescu, Hellboy unsuccessfully tries to contact the BPRD again. The equipment just doesn't work. I love this recurring thing. It's just like the stuff doesn't bones, work. There's a, there's a scene in the movie, too, where two of the agents are trying to shoot one of those Samael guys, and they can't get the gun to work, and then they both get killed, which I think is just funny to carry some of that over. Um, he found a vampire Nazi arms deal and plans to blow up the entire castle. He's already wired it all together, and he gives himself an hour till detonation to get out. But something's calling him from the pit where Jerusku fell at their previous fight. And that's the end of that issue. So Hellboy is uh, following whatever's calling him. A harpy flies out and she mentions Hecate. Um, but Hellboy doesn't have any time for that at all, right? Hecate appears to <laughs> Hellboy and she mentions his demon name, Anung Unrama. So that's Hellboy's real name. And that's uh, the first time we hear his real name? Yeah, that's I think cool so. cool last name. Yeah. Hecate accuses Hellboy of turning his back on his own kind and making war against them, having lived among the humans for too long. She mentions that the four horsemen are loose, and she asks Hellboy to stay with her. Well, first of all, she looks so fucking awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to keep saying stuff like that as long as we do this podcast. All the statue the stuff character in the background. Design, well, the character design. Yeah. Just her design when she first shows up is just so striking. I love it so much. And then we've got some owls and a wolf down here. Love that little detail. Oh, I didn't notice that behind her. Two little owls and a wolf. That's great. I love that. And she says something here so short of your glory. You're hard to recognize. Yeah. So apparently there's another incarnation of Hellboy that we have not seen yet. Yeah. Which and she knows about it, which so that makes her super interesting right off the bat to me. She doesn't like like you mentioned just now, she doesn't like that he's fighting all these various monsters and ghosts and demons and stuff, but she's leaving out the part where he teams up with all these weirdos who, if not for their alignment of ideals, would be considered those things. So she's just mad he's not on her side. That's right. what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, <laughs> you know, I actually never really thought of it that way because you know Liz got the fire, you got Abe. This I man, mean, and there's and we, we're going to meet people down the road that are yeah. also kind of yeah. whatever misfits. mythological in nature misfits, and they have whatever magical elements or weird things to them as well. But she's she's just mad that he's not on her side. Right. It's, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's fighting mythological creatures. It's just, like if they were cool and chill, he would leave them alone. But they're teaming up with Nazis, so right. he has to take them down. You know what I mean? He's not oh, just going to let them. Oh yeah, you're Nazis. That's cool. No, but if if they were setting up, I don't know, fundraising charity. <laughs> if if, if, he if Hecate's bird monsters were setting up little fundraisers, I'm sure he would have no problem with them. So. What would that fundraiser be called? What do you think? I got nothing right now. Uh, Hecate's fundraiser for Bird Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so they get into a fight, and during this fight, he says something. I, lo I love how Mignola manages to undercut these really tense scenes yeah. with uh, some little elements of comedy. I was going to cut you some slack because you're a major mythological figure, but... 
Right. Yeah. But you've gone nuts. And we get a close-up <laughs> of her face down here. You can see that her hair is snakes, right, or something. Which they're mixing their, their mythology here a little yeah. bit because that's Medusa. Well, maybe she just really liked Medusa's she hair. She's really liked, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get my biting her style way. a bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, we I'll see go the, with that. We see the snakes earlier, too, right? Yeah, well, Jurescu yes. turns into snakes, right. and she's his mom, I guess. Hellboy stabs Hecate's giant snake body, and the Force pushes her outside. We flash back to Jurescu's father reminding us that Hecate was cursed oh. by Thoth to be half-changed and vulnerable to sunlight. So the half-changed part is the snake body, right? And as she goes outside, she's disintegrating, melting, turning into snakes. Well, it's like a bunch of wiggly mouth snake monsters. Yeah. It's kind of reminiscent of the Sadu hymn a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And then that spine, though, that just looks so wicked. Oh, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, while well, she's disintegrating, it's so gross. At the same time, the timer goes off that Hellboy was wearing, and so the castle explodes. And we get a huge boom there. We get all the kind of curviness. Um, it looks really great. We cut over to Clark and Abe Sapien. They are at Sense Castle, which I believe is in Hungary. And they're also comment on the crappy Zinko equipment as they try to report into the BPRD. I like Abe's comment right here. He says... Uh, we've seen an explosion. Hellboy's blowing things up again. <laughs> Kate tells Manning to send another plane because she feels this mission is about to get real bad. Back at Rasputin and Ilsa, Rasputin compels Ilsa to love the dragon instead of Jurescu. Yeah, and was, to love I, chaos. I love that. Right? Love chaos. Love me. That's such a. Oh, it hits me so hard because you're starting to see Rasputin as something much bigger than what he was originally introduced. Yeah. It's it's getting a little weird. We're introduced to Koku, a pleasant little servant of the Baba Yaga. Yeah, he's, he a, he's a nice little serv- guy. He is a nice little guy. I like that little guy. <laughs> when uh, when Rasputin kind of just lifts up a circle like Yeah, it just comes I love that. It's it's very well this that, when the Iron Maiden comes up it's so ominous. And again, I don't want to say cinematography because it's right. not, but it's it's very well It gives you the sense of that. Yeah. yeah, it is cinematic. It is. And it's mm-hmm. it's like you said so like you said the this little dude comes out, and he's a very pleasant little guy. And yeah. He introduces the Iron Maiden of Jew that belonged to Elizabeth Bathory. And so this was a real Hungarian noblewoman yes, who was also a real serial killer. Very horrible. And she was actually bricked up in the wall. Yep. Um, she lived for four years uh, before dying in the wall. Fucking. Man, that's... <laughs> yeah. Koku and Rasputin catch up a little bit, and Koku reveals that the Baba Yaga and her chicken leg house are now in the thrice nine lands in the thrice tenth kingdom. I meant to look that up. I, I, I don't... Is that a reference to something? Or? Oh, there's a lot of math there. Yeah. But I wouldn't be able to tell you. I think that that's just something very pleasantly Mignola. Yeah, I love that. And uh, she's had her shot, her eye shot out by Hellboy a few years back. They're talking about this. I love Ilsa's comment. She says, "I don't understand any of this." <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and the uh, the there's also there's another line in there. The dragon waits for us just outside the threshold of human life. Right. So he tells He's her trying to convince her. He tells yeah. her that she has to be reborn in this iron body, and she's like, "Me in there, I'll die." I love how the yeah. the the words are a little smaller yeah. in the word bubble to really convey the way that she says that. But yeah, he tells her that she has to go right outside that threshold, right, to be able to access The way the blood leaks out is... Yeah, what do you think of this scene? It's so well done. It's so horrible. It's so wonderfully horrible. Every time, I've read this so many times, and every time I get to this scene, I just get chills where she says, only for you, and then it clangs I get really, yeah, Yeah. you you do, and it's, it's, it's so wonderfully awful. Yeah. And Rasputin is like, see how the dragon is coming? Like, that is just, as she's 
probably dying yeah. in there and um, even the colorist had fun with this yeah. because it's it's more like it's more about what he doesn't add color to you know what I mean it's it's yeah. it's such a I just really I love the yeah I can't think of what I'm trying to say but the it's it's very well storyboarded I guess yeah. it's yeah. it really is yeah I um I've actually liked the color through this entire um, storyline. And mm-hmm, yeah. um, we talked about in the last uh, episode, like minimal uses of gradients. But in this story, there's quite a few uses of gradients that I've noticed. He's getting throughout. a little more comfortable with it. But yeah. they're all so subtle and they're not yeah. in your face. Nothing is so oh, loud yeah. that it takes you out of the story. It all belongs there. And that's um, James Sinclair. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think. 96 is kind of when digital coloring started coming more into That's the forefront. That's what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Really good stuff. Really good job. Back at Castle Jurescu, Stephen and some of his pals, they find Hellboy buried after the explosion. They plan to take him to the crossroads like their answers. So There's like, birds in like the background there when yeah. they find Hellboy, too, yeah. which is ominous. They feel bad about it, but apparently it's better than what's coming. Back in Norway, Cronin says that his apocalypse army of 666... I love how Kurtz is like, that's small for an army. (laughs) It's symbolic. (laughs) Yeah, it's so unnecessary how bad guys are always like, I want it to be 666. All right, right. okay. He's he's telling him that the army's ready, and he reveals that he's reanimated the head of Von Klempt. He's telling him all the Project Ragnarok plans. (laughs) One of the things that he mentions is that they're going to create a new body for Rasputin so Rasputin can physically return to Earth. Von Klem tries to convince Cronin to use his army instead, and Leopold, Leopold Kurtz just isn't having it. He comes over and he smashes Von Klemp with a huge wrench for going against Rasputin. Cronin sticks up for his friend and in- inadvertently kills Kurtz. I also like how Von Klimp is like basically telling him, like, uh, dude, don't do that. You know, right. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Why don't we just take this army and go rule this world? Nazis are so fucking dumb. Everything yeah. they do is just dumb. Yeah. At the crossroads, Hellboy is bound to a post, and Rasputin, with the Iron Maiden there behind him, confronts Hellboy. He seems to know of what's happened to Liz. He says that he's trying to. Uh, yeah. He said that she was trying to rid herself of the power. Well, she tried to rid herself of her living gift. We talked a little bit yeah, about that. Before, yeah, fire is a living thing. We did talk about yeah. that. So I thought that was really interesting that he knows other things that are happening um, in the story. And he tells Hellboy that his path ends here, right? And so we leave him there for the beginning of issue five the cover of issue five one of the best oh so great. one of the best uh, hellboy he's images got the ever horns, he's got the kind of fire coming yeah. out of his mouth yeah it looks really great i posted a picture of all the issues oh, good. Uh, okay. online you can look at that we see abe and mr clark they're actually using equipment that works this time <laughs> it's fun to see them zipping around and using this little tracker device and they notice all the crosses on the doors uh. and they realize why the city's empty Abe and Clark enter a church, and they find the tracker on Hellboy's belt, but Priest Nicholas is wearing it. And I noticed the tracker on his belt looks like the one from the movie. Yeah, On the movie, they show the tracker. It looks almost exactly like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, they discover that the priest is dead, right? When they try to move him, his head just falls off. And the floor opens up, impaling Clark. So, oh, man, Clark, that's it for him, right? Oh, man. We're it's losing like, agents right and left here. We're losing all these new agents we just met. Keep waiting for little... Little city, what is his name? Sydney Leach. Sydney Leach. Little little city Leach. I keep waiting for him to get it. I guess he was. Uh, I guess that was all. That was all smoke and mirrors. And so down in the trap, Rasputin appears to Abe, 
and he shows Abe his wound and he swears revenge on him. I never noticed this before. The when Clark is impaled, the the rocket pack is impaled too, and it blows up. I never noticed that little detail. And I love the look on Abe's face, right, as he's, like, he looks so scared in that moment. He while, t- yeah. I mean, yeah. He, they just fell in this pit, his friend died, and then Rasputin appeared to him and said, you know that shit you did last time? I'm gonna get you back. Looks so fucking scared because <laughs> the wound is, like, burning. Yeah. He says, he says that the bells toll for thee and then the thing bongs. And the creepy head of Priest Nicholas is, like, saying some scary shit. Back at the crossroads, Hellboy is confronted by Jurescu. He explains that he cannot be defeated because Hecate's blood is powering him. Hellboy waits as Jurescu charges, and at the last moment, he hits him on the head with this post. And I love this uh, this this zoom in of Jurescu, and you can see the the Black Brunswickers outfit. You know, all that research that I did earlier? Yeah. So I looked up the Black Brunswickers, and that's the outfit that they wear. Okay. That's what it looks like. I'll, I'll see if I can get a picture and post that, but that almost looks exactly like it. So here's Jurescu back in his full glory, and then he immediately just gets uh, Hellboy hits him with that post, and he just turns into skeletons. And not just not just him, but the horse, the as horse well. too. And that's just a great page. That's one of the best splash it's pages. It's so hard that they explode into skeletons. Wow, it is a great splash. Page. Yeah. So here's something that was interesting. The birds tell Hellboy that the good son sacrifices himself for the his mother. Hecate's blood flows through Jurescu and through her. And so her, the Iron Maiden, is there in the back. That's kind of what they're alluding to. And then the Iron Maiden arises, right? Hecate arises again through the Iron Maiden slash Ilsa Hopstein. Now a giant half-woman, half-snake Iron Maiden, which is probably one of the best combos you could probably think of. It's like, what, what, what can I get here? What, what can I put together here? Giants, giant... I'm sure it was fun to draw. <laughs> giant snake and an Iron Maiden, a great combo. So that's how Hecate comes back into the world. Hellboy falls into the pit, right? She bites the shit out of him, right? Like, right through the middle of him. And he falls into the pit just like, just as Rasputin did. And as he's falling down there, we get this weird scene, right? The, the pit is calling out to Hellboy, just like it called out to Rasputin. And we get this little scene. We have these three figures. There's uh, the Baba Yaga, who we were just introduced to. There's this like little elf guy in the middle, and then there's a hooded figure, and they're just kind of watching all this happen. The pit continues to speak to Hellboy, and his horns start growing out, right? And you can see that he's in the pit with the Agra Jihad. So this is like some pretty cosmic out Super there stuff. Cosmic. I mean, you know, he's in getting the void with yeah. these otherworldly, unimaginable creatures these voices speaking to him like you said he's growing these horns back and what the fuck is happening this is super weird it's telling him again your coming of age is the death knell of man you know this is true you have always known the trio that we just mentioned are still watching and so the pit is telling hellboy that he has two choices to just die or to give in right and take his 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 right hand and use it as a key to open the pit right the key we're finding more and more about this right hand of doom here it's apparently it's a key now and he's going to use it to unlock all this oh man also uh, i really like this picture of like hellboy with the the horns yeah it's kind of got almost a he almost looks stone like in quality yeah and uh with etching on him and all that yeah. Mignola's does so much with so little. These little delicate lines are so... They really do they stand out. Lot. Yeah, I agree. He decides that he's not going to do either, and he just breaks the horns off, right? The trio watch in amazement. Baba Yaga says, this is impossible. That is such a great 
and the hooded Moments. figure. Yeah, he says, and now finally he gives birth to himself. He cracks those horns off. And then it's all gone. He's back on Earth, right? The the Iron Maiden just bit through him. It's not there anymore. None of this stuff is, has happened. And I love how Kate shows up right yeah. at that moment. It reminds me about on X-Files. Like, yes. all this crazy shit would happen. And then as soon as it would be over, yeah. Scully would show up and be like, what What happened over here? And and she's, oh, Mulder. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> things is Hellboy says, you made it to Romania after all. And she says, yeah, I came to try that paprika yeah, chicken. Yeah. We'll I love that callback to that little that little joke. He's like, uh, kind of lost track of Jurescu. Is that him over there? Just Apollo skeletons. Like, it's just, <laughs> n- it's, it, it, it's so uh It's it so a funny. very Mulder and Scully moment. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. She tells them about all the horrible things that have happened. So I kind of like this is, you know, this stuff doesn't go according to plan. When you think of your superhero team, you think that they're going to get out of the pickle. We'll hear, you know, the plane crash that was supposed to bring them back. Waller's dead. People Mr. Clark died, is dead. Yeah. Um, Sydney got burned right liz is all messed up so not a great ending for for our team here although that's a i really do like that uh, shot with um hellboy and her just looking off into the morning sunrise yeah. oh and he i feel like he really just captured a sunrise in the um the simpleness of the drawing because you know it's just a quarter yeah, it panel is a very bottom. simple panel but it does he like yeah he does so much with so little yeah Speaking of things going very wrong, back in Norway, we have this amusing scene. Rasputin appears to the Project Ragnarok crew at the headquarters. He tries to check in, and he's pissed to see Von Klemp there. He blinds Zinko for bringing Von Klemp into the whole thing. Zinko runs off, and he accidentally hits this button that causes everything to blow up. And so it's just... uh, it's just a very, you know, the BPRD aren't the only ones having a bad day so here. So satisfying. So satisfying to blow up Nazis. Yes. <laughs> What do you think about this scene, Aubrey? I just like, why would you put a button like that? <laughs> why would you have that button there? I mean, if you're going to have a self-destruct Dumb. button, you would at least need like a cover on it so you don't accidentally right? run it's into gigantic. it. gigantic. Yeah. So it all blows up, and I love Rasputin, this panel with Rasputin just fuming. He's just like, hell boy. Hell boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they never found the Iron Maiden. Hellboy says, that's all right. I don't want to see her again anyway. Nice. So there's this little kind of aftermath thing. The skeleton of Vladimir Jurescu was to be moved to the BPRD headquarters. It was placed in a temporary storage where it disappeared and was never recovered. Also, the head of Father Nicholas uh, never spoke again, but for weeks continued to be the focus of poltergeist activities, including sudden temperature changes and the levitation of objects. It is currently on loan um, from this institute in France. I'm not sure how to say that. I, I tried to look it up. There's a Paul institute in france but i couldn't find one with this name and then we have our epilogue i I really want to talk about this so back at the world tree right the zinco lab just got blown up so here's rasputin he's he's like a reset uh, again like uh, when you put a when you start a new game or something he's back at the world tree yeah i I love the way that he illustrates the yggdrasil and when the bobby uh bobby says you've come to sit a while with your soul yeah. And he just says, hello, grandmother. And he looks so sad. Yeah. And I was surprised at how... <laughs> yes. I was surprised at how I much I scene. felt for him when he was sad. Like, this is the worst guy. He is so <laughs> awful. And I'm just that expression on his face. I was like, oh, no. She tells him that she's been watching him. He tells her that he's sorry about her eye. And she's like, but I still have a good one. And she talks about what happened at Cavendish Hall, that that was his finest hour. 
Right, he was so close at that point. He cracked one of the shells of the Ogdra Jihad. This last bit of business undone by a head in a jar. Right, so he says that he had been following the dragon, but for this last little thing, he tried to do something for himself. And I love how he's like, why can't I just have something for myself? She tries to tell him that he's just a he, he's just here for to fulfill the dragon and beyond that he's just a man i love this where he says uh, this panel where he says grandmother where is your chicken leg house yes he's kind of like really sad he puts his head his head in his hands and then he looks up and that's the first thing he says and the it, it's the the dialogue is kind of little too or yeah. the the lettering is little like he says it like Mignola has this way of of giving us such a strong insight into the core of these people yeah. and what really, you know, what really makes them go at the end of the day is he really does have that weakness the way that we yeah. all do that sense of... Yes, sense nostalgia. Of, it's not quite nostalgia. It's it's more like it's just so, it's sort of something sort of... Comforting from his childhood. Or, in between. It's very... Yeah. yeah. We all... We all... That pulls all of us. And, it, and it, to even this person who was trying to call down magical void monsters you know he still has this vulnerability yeah and it's so interesting that mignola would take this t- it, it makes the character that much stronger it, it it makes the story that much more real right he talks about he remembers it from his childhood and it makes me think of stuff that i remember from my childhood yeah. and when you get that kind of like yeah where is that thing i want to see mm-hmm. that again yeah. you know th- i feel like that's kind of his expression where the, he he looks up here and that's one of my probably one of my favorite little panels yes, in this epilogue i agree and the panel with the where he actually illustrates the chicken-like house. Yeah, we get to see it. <laughs> it is something you would be nostalgic for. Looking at it myself, I, I, that is something you would want to see again. I really like it's the design a, of that. It looks there's great. There's something so it, sweet about it. We kind of zoom into the windows, and we see all the little lights, and then as it zooms in closer, there are these skulls with, with lights in their eyes. I kind of wonder, like, is the house just floor-to-ceiling skulls with their eye- with lights in their eyes, or are they just all at the window like dogs? Like, when you're trying to leave, Aubrey and Jakers is, like, looking at you <laughs> through the window. Like, maybe the skulls are, like, just looking yeah. like just looking at her because she's outside. Eh, it could be either one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll get to find out someday. So she tells uh, Rasputin to, to stay there and to sleep, and he says that he wants to go on a little longer. Maybe he can make himself a god. And so he says goodbye to her, and she's just left saying, poor Rasputin, goodbye. And that's it, yeah. That's quite a story. That was So there was a lot in that story, and this is kind of a big, I think of, I, I keep coming back to like X-Files, but I think of yeah, X-Files yeah. where there are some stories that are just kind of like fun stories to read, and then there are Monster stories. Monster of the Week. And then there are stories that are really part of the myth The arc, mythology. The mythology of it, and this was heavy mythology. A lot of the stuff that we talked about today, we're going to, it's still going to ring out. Yes. It's going to send those ripples through the Hellboy universe that we're still going to hit on with additional stories down the line. Those are always really exciting, yeah. Well, for me, it's like uh, when we read Seed of Destruction, I mean, uh, Mignola could have stopped right there after that, and it would have been fine with a good story. I mean, right. but this one, I feel like he really, really started on his world building. Uh, yes. Um, it was a lot to uh, process. It really yeah, is. It really, it really is. is. Reading it, reading it this time and trying to take the notes and everything, I was like, "Wow, this is a lot." There, there is a lot in here, but it's really satisfying. And I think that the stuff that's going to come from it is also yeah. just going to. It makes the story so much better to come back to later. Well, also, when you, when you read it later, there's even a little note here from Mignola in the version that I'm reading, and he actually talks about that whole process of really opening it up and really digging mm-hmm. deeper and he's just throws himself into it and he really wanted to make it something like you said something right 
he more just impactful. just kind of like uh, I think you talked about this on a previous episode. He sometimes draws it, and then he's not thinking about the dialogue till yeah. later, and then he has to come back and fill that in. So he talks about that a little bit. The fight with Hecate and the stuff that she says changed the story for him. Yes. It was going to go one way, but then after he wrote that stuff, it had to go a different way. To everyone's benefit, because... To everyone's it, benefit, Like I yeah. was saying, that world building, that, that, that delving that he did, he's really getting at something deeper. He's really getting at... There is something that needs to come out, and he's, he's getting there. And he's not afraid to go back and change all of it. He even says, I want to thank my wife for putting up with me, because... <laughs> He did a lot of, I'm going back. I'm yeah. going back into it. I'm going to change it because it needs to be changed. And he's not afraid to do that when the story requires it. And I, when the art requires it, too, he'll, he'll post online on his Facebook. He'll be like, spent all day drawing something, decided to scrap it. It wasn't right. So I'm going right. to start over tomorrow. And you're just the, the courage that takes. It really does. Is, it really takes is a remarkable. Lot of he also says that he finally made clear what those things on Hellboy's forehead yes. were. So I think prior to this, people didn't really know. A lot of maybe people thought they were goggles or something. But now that you see the horns grow out of them, you know what what they really are. Well, that's so the mythology I think that's we really hadn't cool. seen yeah. yet, and that like like Aubrey was saying, we get to see, we start to see a little deeper into that universe. Yeah, I, I guess I never really thought about that because um, you know knowing Hellboy from what I know, you know, I guess like when he the comics are first coming out nobody really knows what those things are on his it's head it's the coolest possible fucking explanation yeah. right could have had for that. <laughs> well it's like like in the movie they mention like oh yeah he uh files his horns they down. tell you right in the beginning it's right like, right, right. right. but i like how second yeah <laughs> yeah this way we kind of go the long way around which is nice did you have anything else to say about wake the devil or well i was gonna say uh Jurescu turned out to be a little bit uh you know not as big a threat as uh, they, you know, he thought he was going right. to be. Right, it was, it was a, more with all this build up to Jurescu, and it turns out all you have to do is just hit him real hard on the head, and he explodes into a skeleton. Right. Well, there was that line that said the son sacrifices himself for the mother. So I wonder if kind of like he, yeah, gave Hecate some of his powers so she could come back or something like that. Oh yeah, no, I just like you know, I mean, it's just, no, it, that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like you know, it's like bam. It was a shock again. It, it like, kind of takes these conventions that we are normally yes, used yeah. to, and it, it flips them around a little bit. I mean, it was justified by the story, but like like Aubrey was saying, it was just hysterical <laughs> to just. Yeah, be... I mean, when you, you know, think about it in the long. He just hits him with that thing. And I was he... gearing up for a huge fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to kind of wrap up. You know, I know that Wolves of St. August and the Chain Coffin, they actually take place before this story. And so we're introduced to Kate earlier just because of the way the omnibuses. I'm trying to reconcile what is the best way to do the reading order between the omnibus versions and the library editions. We're going to talk about those stories next time. We're going to do our short stories part one for next time. And I'm going to kind of figure out what what we're going to read for that. I know it's going to be Wolves of St. August, The Chain Coffin, and um, Almost Colossus. I know that we're going to read those three. We might throw some more in there too, but I'm just trying to figure out what the best way to consolidate the reading order between all these different formats because I've got the library editions and the trades. Aubrey's got the omnibuses. So I'm just trying to figure out how we can all stay on the same page. If you have any feedback of that, please let us know. I'm trying to figure that out right now. I actually posted something earlier today to be like, how should I do this? So let us know. It's going to get a little confusing on the next couple of weeks, but we'll we'll power through it. Also, if you have a particular reading order, you can always just listen to the episodes out of order there if you, you want. That's you, you, fine. You could do that as well. But I, I, we are going to hit Wolves of St. August pretty hard because that is a very uh, special story to us in particular. So I'm very excited to get to that. So yeah, so we we'll didn't be, leave it out. Th- those are the last three. Those are the stories from the first omnibus that we haven't covered yet. So I just kind of want to wrap that up. 
and we might throw a, another story in there too. I'm trying to figure out how many pages everything is. I probably should have done that before we started recording, but oh well, oh, I'll figure bit. it out. Yeah. Now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Tell us what you thought about Wake the Devil. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we're going to be doing Short Stories Part 1. So pull out your back issues, library editions, omnibus, or download the digitals and follow along. We'll be sure to post a uh, reading order. Yes. Yeah. You can find the podcast at Podbean and Apple iTunes and other podcast services at Google Play, I believe. Yeah, uh, we're on Google Play now. And I put on Stitcher, but it it hasn't been approved yet. Pocket Cast, I believe, is one of them. Yeah. Um, And I think Spotify, we have to wait for five episodes. So we're almost on Spotify, guys. And let us know your podcast of choice. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying paprika chicken, baby. Yeah. (laughs)